Hi, I'm Rebecca, and this is my podcast, The Second Half. Thank you to all of you that have been listening to the podcast and to anyone else that just joined us today. This podcast is about the challenges and joys we experience, especially in the second half of our lives. I hope that the stories that my guests and I share will make you feel less alone as you face your own challenges and will make us all feel more connected as a community. Today on the show, I talked to Wendy Reed about tools we can use to increase our mental fitness. Wendy is a certified professional coach in the DC metro area. She coaches clients across the U.S. and facilitates live and online workshops with a focus on helping people with their mental and emotional fitness to meet the challenges of today's trying times. Here we go. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I am really happy to be here. I thought today we could talk about building our mental fitness, our mental strength to deal with anxiety, stress, uh, a lot of different kinds of mental health um, challenges. What would you define as mental fitness? Yeah, so mental fitness, what is it? It is the ability for us to access a positive mindset over a negative mindset Mm -hmm. more often. And not. And the more fit we are, the greater access we have, the more readily available it is. Uh, and, and on the opposite side of that, the harder the situation is for us, right? And I think we could all uh, argue that we're in really tough times right now. We're sitting in a very difficult context. And if we aren't mentally fit, if we haven't been doing practices that um, give us that access on a regular basis, we may be more challenged than others who have been. It's like the difference between walking up a hill uh, in your neighborhood and being like, you know what, I'm not in the greatest of shape, but I can do that. Sure. And climbing Mount Everest without training. Right. And we're in the Mount Everest stage right now. We're in a level of chronic stress, some would argue chronic um, trauma. Right. And, and so uh, that's the, the concept, pulling out of a negativity space, a space that's not helpful to you. It's not serving you in any way. And that is typically in that left side of our brain. It's that amygdala area, that um, that fight or flight space where everything feels like a matter of survival. Right. And that's where we get and anxiety and pull it into a new place. Um, and in the positive intelligence world, uh, uh, Shirzad Shamin, he calls it stepping into your sage, accessing those juicy parts of yourself, your curiosity and love of exploration, your passion, um, your purpose and meaning, your ability to get into action in your life mm-hmm. with, with energy not with pushing yourself up that hill, right? But being pulled up that hill by those better parts of yourself, by that strong and more resilient part of your brain. Right. Where do you start to to do this mental fitness? So the first thing you have to do is interrupt these, quote, saboteurs, these personas, when they are there. Right. And essentially, it's any negative emotion outside of grief is a sign that you've got a saboteur on the job. 
as so long as it lasts longer than say a minute, right? It's like keeping your hand on the stove. You know, you already got the message, something happened and now you're having a reaction, right? Right. How long do you want to keep your hand on that stove? How long does it serve you to send that message to your body that your hand is burning, right? And in this case, it's like, how long will you hold on to the panic? It's you've got the message, something's triggered, right? So you got to interrupt it in the moment. And again, if you if you go with the idea that every negative emotion, so we're talking shame, fear, regret, guilt, um, all of those things, and we get this feeling, and we can feel it in our bodies, right? Right, physically, yeah. We can physically feel it. You have to interrupt it in the moment. It's like, I see you, I'm naming it. It might be the judge judging the situation as overwhelming, awful, this isn't going to go well, right? Whatever it might be, you stop it cold. And the um, idea is now you do an, some sort of exercise that takes you out of here, your head, and into your body. Mm-hmm. So we want to get out of the head because that's where the that's where the panic is. That's where it's going. That's where the survival brain has been activated. Um, and you want to get into the body, which is where our emotional space is. This is where our willpower lives, is in our bodies, not in our minds. And so one of the ways we can do that is through sensory exercises. And many of us are aware of, say, uh, meditation. So the idea is that we want to get ourselves out of our minds and into our bodies. And one of the ways we can do that, that most of us are familiar with are taking deep breaths. And we can do that in as little as 15 seconds of deep breathing, focusing on a longer exhale than inhale. That will reduce, um, that, that takes us out of our mind. Um, that works, uh, but there are so many other exercises that we can do and that can build up our mental fitness. For instance, again, in as little as 15 seconds, all you do is you focus on a single sense. So it might be you focus on the sound that is farthest away from where you are right now. You sit there and all you do is focus a hundred percent of your attention on what you can hear the farthest away. 15 seconds, or you can do the the sound that's closest to you. And oftentimes that is the sound of our own breathing. And you focus just on the sound of that. Another thing we can do is uh, um, focusing on the sense of our thumb and our forefinger rubbing together. We focus so much on that, that we, all we notice are the feeling of the ridges on our fingertips touching one another. And again, just 15 seconds. And you're training your brain to go there instead of to the thoughts that are in your mind. We've been washing our hands a lot lately, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we can focus on the suds, the feeling of the suds against our hands or the warmth of the water on our skin. Just focusing on that 15 seconds at a time. All of these exercises, and there are many, many more that we can do. Um, but you see there is a, there's a pattern to them. It's focus, it's sense, and it is in our, in our bodies and not in our minds. Mm -hmm. It is really hard to have those saboteur thoughts that are uh, attacking us, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, while also focusing on just a single sense. 
it's incredibly difficult to do both at the same time. And the more you practice these uh, activities, these exercises, the less likely it is that those thoughts will have to be redirected as you are going through your day. Right. What happened with my situation was because my brain had this practice of being afraid all the time and not being able to self-soothe, which is what I think mental fitness allows for, is that you can tell your brain can tell you and your body it's going to be okay. And my brain was telling me it's not going to be okay every single day. What happened in the end was I had one trigger at the beginning of the summer and I wasn't able to fix that trigger with the person that triggered it for me. And because I couldn't fix it, I stayed with that one fear, one trigger for three months. And what you were saying as you, know, you have a trigger and then what you do is, and what cognitive behavior therapy taught me also is you don't feed that trigger. You try to distract yourself so your brain can take a rest. And in the end, when you feel better afterwards, you're teaching your brain that you'll be okay. So what you're saying makes so much sense. We have a tendency to ruminate on our triggers and stay in them, analyze the heck out of them mm -hmm. and make ourselves feel much, much worse and more powerless in the situation. And we try to fix it from there, from that perspective. Right. Right. And you, and that is exactly what doesn't work. Right. It never works. We're not accessing the best parts of ourselves to problem solve around it. We're in, we're in our stuff. So interrupting it is the first step, right? right. You say, I see you. I'm triggered. I hear my judge telling me I'm not enough. This is my pattern. I do this when I'm triggered. I go here and I'm going to neutralize this. I'm going to get to a neutral zone. And the way we get to that neutral zone, that more peaceful place, as you put it, is by getting ourselves out of our head and into our body. And each time a thought comes in, and this is where that meditative piece of it, that there's a parallel. Each time one of those thoughts tries to interrupt our practice, we just notice it and set it aside and go back to the exercise we might have been doing. So it might have been the focusing on one sense, the hearing, or focusing on our chewing, only on the chewing, focusing on the feeling of the water rushing over our bodies as we're in the shower. Um, and all of those gets us out of that saboteur into our bodies, into a neutral zone, right? right. Where we can and go to the next part of this formula. And the next part of the formula is we can look at our situation. Now we're in neutral zone. We're calmer. And we can ask ourselves, how can I convert this situation into a gift or an opportunity? Because every situation can be turned into a gift or an opportunity. If that seems, though, at the beginning of your practice, too hard, your other option is accept. Right. Accept the situation as it is, okay, or choose to convert it. Now you're standing in choice. You're no longer in your powerlessness. You're standing in, in choice. 
I can accept the situation as it is and move on with my life with that acceptance, or I can actively convert this into a gift or an opportunity. So from there, what we can do is we can invite in some of those superpowers that I started to mention, this concept of what would be needed for me to make this the gift or opportunity that I want it to be. So let's say, for instance, your trigger was um, somebody didn't reply to your your text and you're standing in this feeling of discomfort, extreme discomfort of not being enough. So how do I want to convert this into a gift or an opportunity? Well, maybe for you, you really want to step into um, relationship with that person in a whole way. So how could I do that? What will I need to do that? Might I call on empathy for that? Uh, is there something I need to learn in order to do this? Do I need to call in some level of resourcefulness, exploration in order to show up? Because maybe I don't feel like I know enough even to stand in a, uh, in a, in a way that would connect me more with that person. Uh, is there purpose or meaning in this for me? Am I about connecting? Am I about depth of connection with people? How could I make this situation Align with that. Uh, another way is to just is to go into activate mode, meaning what can I do? What could I actively do about this situation to make myself feel better or to go in that direction of connecting more? And, in, and then you can answer that question too. But in all of this, you're standing in a place of conversion to gift and opportunity. And I think what, what you said uh, earlier is super important in that when you're making that decision, it has to be when you are in a place of reason as opposed to a place of fear. So what I wasn't doing was getting to that place of reason. When you have a trigger and you respond immediately, whether it be a text, email, or all kinds of triggers in our lives with relationships, with work, with family. When you are responding immediately because of that physical fear, anxiety, shame, embarrassment, regret, we're not doing it. We're not making the right decision because it's coming from those fight or flight instincts. And that's right. To interrupt that. And get, get, you know, the interruption is really, really important. And that's yeah. something that felt so physically difficult. The discomfort in our bodies is so great. We want it relieved and right. relieved. Fast. And we think if we act from that quickly, that it will be relieved. But as you pointed out, if you're, st if you're troubleshooting from that place, it's not going to go well. Just like if you try to have a conversation with someone when you're at your full maddest, right? And you're seeing red. Um, it can be very hard to even hear them um, believe anything they say. And the same goes for how we talk to ourselves. And so, you know, what I like to do with my clients is point out the lies that they're telling themselves. You're standing in a lie. 
The lie is you're not enough. And we're not going to empower that lie. We're going to step into a new place because it's a lie. Let's not stand in that. And the hard part, I know for myself too, by the way, is not to believe the lies. Right. It's really super hard. But the way I know it's a lie is the way it makes me feel. It makes me feel awful to stand in that position, right? Of I'm not enough. I cannot fix this. I will never, it'll never be good. Everything's falling apart. Um, this relationship's wrecked. It makes me bad. You know, like all of that. And I'm in the more I say it, the worse I feel. I can feel it in my body, as you pointed out. It's it's just like a footprint and a familiar one. Right. And the other way we know we're standing in a lie and a saboteur is it's so incredibly familiar. This is not your first time around with this, right? Right. Yeah, it's a familiar lie that we keep telling ourselves. And those things are there. They've, they've come out of our childhoods, you know, for all kinds of reasons. They thought they were doing us a favor somewhere along the way. You know, if you judge yourself harshly, maybe you'll show up, you know, better in the world. You know, whatever the lie, you know, whatever the reasons are, the rationale, but they're no longer useful. They don't allow you to access that wonderful part of ourselves, that inner sage, if you will, our highest selves. They don't give us access. And that's the beauty of this work, right, is it gives us access to the best parts of ourselves that are inside of all of us. Right. And the practice of it makes a difference. It's interesting because you said the trauma Part of it is whatever trauma we had when we were young, a lot of us have different kinds of trauma throughout our life. And part of it is instincts that we have as part of being a human being from evolution is something bad happens and we need to fix it because that's what our uh, evolutionary instincts tell us. But when it comes to the mental uh, fear, as opposed to physical fear, somebody's chasing you, you have to react immediately. What we have now in our society is different because of social media, because of the way we, we communicate is different. We don't have a face-to-face where I see the fear in front of me, I know exactly what to do, I can interpret all the elements of it. A text will not give you all that nuance. An email will not give you that nuance. Even even relationships, especially now, like because we're in the pandemic, it's exasperating some of the difficult things that we were struggling with before. That's right. That's right. And uh, so what can we do when we are standing in that place right. of worse and this is so hard? And we can ask ourselves, what do we want instead? Mm-hmm. What do we want instead? Get ourselves to that neutral zone using lots of good exercises, those exercises that get us out of our heads and into our bodies and take action in the direction of what we want instead, what we want more of. We can even create uh, a daily declaration or commitment of what we want to stand in So for me, I will share my commitment that I've been standing in daily. 
Uh, I am a commitment to intimacy and connection, integrity and authenticity, and to the belief that anything is possible, even a happy ending. Right. So what you're hearing in my commitment is you could probably guess where I'm coming from, what my my from place, my fear places are, just by hearing my commitment, right? Mm-hmm. And I refuse to stand in the muck of the fears of not being able to connect, of being less than genuine, mm-hmm. of standing in the fear of the worst case scenario. And so daily, I have been standing in this fresh commitment to it and working hard to embody it as well as, you know, say it out loud really feel what is it like to stand in my commitment because this is where I want to live from on my on a daily basis and it's my antidote that I go to to the fears of disconnection right right one thing that's been amazing to see is how much the practice does change the connections in your brain. And it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes years, but it happens. It happens over time when after a trigger, the fear is less, the the shame is less. You don't have to fight as hard to get to that place of reason. Each time it becomes a little bit easier. It doesn't go away, it hasn't for me, but it's become easier to use those tools to get to a place of comfort and peace and reason. Yeah, yeah, so what you're talking about is shrinking down those joy-sucking voices um, and the reactivity that comes with them, shrinking them down. They don't go away, they don't go away but they get disempowered by building this gray matter in our brains when we do these exercises for ourselves, whether it's meditation or it's these micro moments that I'm talking about, these micro exercises that you can build into your day so that you have that access to your more creative, resourceful, joyful parts of yourself. Right. One of the things that was the hardest for me was not the anxiety itself, but the judgment that I was putting on myself for having anxiety and not being able to fix it. We are so hard on ourselves. And here it is. You're trying to do new things for yourself, right? You're trying on new tools. You're trying on a new formula for getting out of your mind and into your body. And if it's not going just right, um, you know, if you didn't do it, do it right. Something did we can be even harder on ourselves. And so that's why we, inter- we interrupt it again. We interrupt it as many times as we need. We must be kind to ourselves. Acknowledge we are living in hard times. This is hard. Be gentle with yourself. Trying on new practices, even small practices like we've discussed today. Uh, that carry such import. It can be hard. It's a new habit. Go gently with yourself. Remember to be kind and compassionate. Pull in your empathy for yourself. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges to doing any of these practices, especially, uh, I'll say, meditation and mindfulness, those are terms that I know they're great. I know they're helpful. I hear it all the time in all kinds of contexts. But my my gut reaction is, I don't have time for that. How am I going to you know, fit that into my day? And how's that going to even work? How do we get to past that? We all have a feeling of busyness, even in this time of a pandemic when we're stuck at home. And the truth of the matter is that we do have the time. Uh, we have to create the time in the micro moments. Um, I have literally broken it down into 15 second increments. Not that I'm, you know, timing it, but something around there. So for instance, if I wake up in the night and I can't, I can't sleep, I pause and I go into a repetition, a sensory repetition. So it, it might be the hearing one we've already talked about. If I have the energy in the middle of the night to rub my fingers together or rub my hands, my the palms of my hands together, I will do that. Um, oftentimes that the most I can do is focus on a sound, but I do that in the night when I wake up in the morning, if I notice I wake up and my heart is, is tight or my stomach is tight. And so right then and there, 15 seconds, I can pause. I can take a few deep breaths. I might even put my hand on the activated part of my body. My heart and my belly for me are the ones that are pretty much the, you know, they're the ones that get activated and I can breathe gently into that without any judgment, no judgment. Um, but that is so accessible anytime. The hardest time to use these um, practices is when we're triggered, right? right. So that is do it when you're not triggered and start building up the capacity to go from mind into body, build it up. We were talking about mental fitness, do the reps, do the reps 12 times. Let's do them, you know, or 15 times in a day. Do one minute. However, you want to get up to 15 minutes, which would be the recommended time if you really, really want to build up that mental fitness and say, you know, six to eight weeks. Research suggests that you actually do build gray matter in your brain, in the, the creative parts of your brain, if you do just 15 minutes a day of these sensory repetitions. That's your mental fitness. Wow, right. I think it's important we use any tool we can to create some peace and some comfort in our day, which translates into everything else in our life, our relationships, our work, um, with our families. And that's, that's my goal also, is to have that so that I could be more present with the people in my life. What you're talking about are the amazing rewards that come when we are mentally fit. We are more connected with ourselves, kinder and gentler to ourselves. And when we can do that and be that to ourselves, we are capable of bringing that into our relationships with those around us, those we love. We are capable of bringing that into the way that we, quote, perform in our lives. We have more ready access to those, as I like to say, juicy parts of ourselves, those best qualities. We're able to live more in alignment with what we value, right? All of, so much is more accessible to us when we're starting from a mentally fit place. 
Absolutely. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hi. Thanks for listening to the show. If you liked it, please subscribe to the podcast and rate it and leave a review. See you next week on the second half.